I'm on part three, part three of a, obviously a three-part series, and the first two, the last two weeks, we've talked about this. Just let me read the passage of scripture to you so you know where we're coming from. But in 1 John chapter 2, this is where I paused, was in the middle, is I'm writing to you little children since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have conquered the evil one. I've written to you children because you have come to know the father. I've written to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. So two weeks ago, we talked about the foundation of spiritual maturity, which is a child's understanding. The first level of spiritual maturity is forgiveness. Jesus came and died for our sins, all of our sins, on the cross. His blood was poured out, and our sins were forgiven. They weren't just covered, they were forgiven. They are no more. Everything you've done, doing, and going to do is taken care of. That's foundational. It's foundational. Child's play. And then he says, I write to you young men because you understand how to overcome the evil one. You've conquered the evil one. Like up here's where the battle is. We think that our battle's somewhere in the heart, but it's not necessarily in the heart because our heart's been made good. Our old heart was taken out and replaced with the heart of flesh the moment that we believed that Jesus was our Lord and Savior. You're a new creation. You're holy, righteous, and redeemed. So the battle goes on right here. I battle, but it's right here with the stuff that's in my brain and with the mind of Christ that I've been given. That's where the battle takes place. I have to process things that come to me, facts, lies, Everything that comes to me, and I have to process it through the mind of Christ. What is truth and what is lies? And then we get to the third part, which is, I write to you fathers, the third level. I write to you fathers, those that are older, more mature, because you know the one who's from the very beginning. You have an intimate relationship with the creator. This is where we want to be. It's where we want to be. And today, I'll take you through several, several passages of Scripture to show you exactly what that Sabbath rest is. You see, our Bible is made up of an Old Testament and a New Testament. I think you know that. But it's also made up of an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. The Old Covenant, which is basically the Old Testament plus pretty much all the way through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which was Jesus' public ministry, that was part of the Old Covenant. Jesus came and he taught the law and he lived the law perfectly. Big difference between Old Covenant and Old Testament. But in the Old Covenant, they were dependent upon doing things in, in their own strength. Like, God gave them the Ten Commandments, obey the Ten Commandments, listen to the 613 laws that are in Leviticus and live up to those in your own strength. He even came along in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and he gave them more law. It's red letters that Jesus spoke, and he's like, hey, if, if, you, you know, if they ask for your shirt off your back, give them your coat as well. 
they ask you to go one mile, you go two. He like ramped up the law and said, try to do this in your own strength. Well, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it took them all that time period to figure that out. So how does it work? Jesus died on the cross. Your sins were forgiven. He was buried. He rose again. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And then they sent this spirit to come live inside of you. (laughs) So there's a big difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, they did everything in their own strength. In the New Covenant, he sent a spirit to live inside of you and he said, okay, I'll do this for you. If you let me. You still have a choice. You still have a choice to walk by your flesh, which is doing things in your own strength, or you have a choice of walking by the Spirit and letting the Spirit do it. So let me take you through some passages of Scripture and show you exactly what I'm talking about, that this isn't my words, but it's the Scripture that says that. So Sabbath rest is what I want to talk about with you today. What is Sabbath rest? It's easy for me to say, okay, we need to be in Sabbath rest, but what is it? It's really that third level of spiritual maturity. It's that, it's that abundant life that's associated with knowing the Creator intimately. And when I say abundant, I mean it, it's a full life. Now, you go back to the Israelites that were taken into captivity by the Egyptians, They were in bondage, and they never got to experience this Sabbath rest. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Remember, they they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? If not to those who disobeyed. So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. They were never able to get into that promised land, the promised land that God said, I'll give this to you because they were afraid. They sent spies in and saw these giants that we can't get in there and defeat these. Okay, well, you're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness and you're never going to enter that rest. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Oh, wait a second. So Joshua wasn't able to give them that kind of rest that God had planned for another day later on. What's that? Another day later on. You're in that another day. You're in that another day. The spiritual rest that we're talking about is the believers in Hebrews versus the believers of all time. If you remember, back in April, we talked about the three different types of rest. We went through Hebrews, and we kind of explained what they were, and it's very similar to the same thing that we're talking about in 1 John chapter 2, the spiritual levels. The redemption rest was really about salvation. Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And Hebrews 11.6 says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Literally, 
if you want to be redeemed, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. I mean, that, that, that's it. For, for them and that were in Israel, for those that were in Israel and taking captivity, he literally set them free from the Egyptians. He redeemed them in comparison to us believing in Jesus and having redemption in our spiritual selves. And then that second level of rest that they didn't get to enter into is what we would consider Canaan rest. That's not a biblical term. That's just one that we talk about. It's the rest that just comes with trusting God to overcome the enemy. They couldn't get into the land of Canaan because they didn't trust God to defeat the enemies that were in Canaan. So they had to wander around in the wilderness. They had to like suffer for 40 years and literally they died out. And then we have those that are encouraged to enter into the rest, and that would be us. Let me back up to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. It says this. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a, a hard struggle with sufferings? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which is a great reward. He's literally saying to those Hebrews, you know what you have. You know what you have. And if there's anything that I can encourage you today when we talk about Sabbath rest is like, you've got to figure this thing out. If you figure this thing out, life changes for you. And so now he's encouraging us to enter into this Sabbath rest. He encouraged those that were saved and hiding out, those Hebrews. He said in, in well, actually it was in 2 Corinthians 10, it says this, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God our, for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey first. When I was finished teaching last week and talking about overcoming the enemy, somebody came up and said to me, well, what about that verse in 2 Corinthians 10? Well, yes, that, that's the whole idea is like, is you... you take every thought captive and you process it, you filter it through this mind of Christ that you have. You have the capability of entering that Canaan rest that we're talking about. He encouraged us to do that. And then we get to today. Today, the Sabbath rest, that, that third level. This is what comes with true spiritual maturity. Again, that abundant life. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 through 11 says, Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works. Oh, that's so, did you hear that? A Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every... <laughs> That's so funny. Let us make every effort to enter that rest. That means it means it makes it sound like, oh, now I've got to do something. I've got to like, and the effort, what, what's my effort? My effort is to quit doing it. 
That's my effort. Just quit trying to fix everything. Quit trying to do everything. Quit trying to solve everything. That, that's hard for me because I want to fix everything. I think that I can do it in my own strength, but if I just trust the Lord, he says, let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. You even go back to the Old Testament and David in Psalm 995 says, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness where the ancestors tested me, they tried me. They had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will never enter my rest. Talking about the Israelites just disobeying God. And he's like, they don't have the opportunity that you have today. And then Jesus is hanging out with his disciples right before he's to go to the cross. This would be in the upper room and they're taking the Lord's Supper. And if you can imagine that uh, just the anxiety of those 12, maybe 11 after Judas has, has left, the 11 men that are sitting there thinking about their, their friend, their brother, who's getting ready to die, and he's trying to comfort them. He says in... John chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Like Jesus and God the Father, they think alike. They're distinct, but they are actually one. There's this unbroken fellowship between them. And he says, And then uh, verse 8, it says, uh, Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. And they just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. Jesus said to him, I have been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. Everything that you've seen me do, you've seen me cast out demons, you've seen me walk on water, you've seen me feed 5,000 people, but I didn't do that. That was my Father that did it through me. Like turning the, the water into wine, I didn't do that. God did that. Literally, Jesus is saying, I didn't do any works. It was his father in him that did the works. He says, believe believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Now, I've used this example many times, and uh, I keep it. I keep it in my Bible, but I've showed this to you a few times before, but this is really the way it works. At one point, uh, Chloe, my daughter, uh, made this envelope. This is the God envelope. 
and inside of this envelope, this is the way it works. This is the way verse 10 says, verse 11, Jesus is in God. Jesus is in God. And get this. Inside of Jesus is Chloe. Chloe. So here's the way it works. Chloe's in Jesus. And Jesus is in God. And that is Sabbath rest. That's what it looks like. It's not just Chloe doing her thing. It's Chloe living in Jesus. And Jesus living in God. And them doing it together. That, my friends, is Sabbath rest. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purposes. If, if, Chloe's, if Chloe's in Jesus, all of a sudden what she desires, what she wants, becomes what he desires, what he wants. Rather than her own selfish, fleshly desires, it's what he wants, and they're doing this thing together. And he says, I'm going to back up to uh, John chapter 15. It says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up, I grew up thinking, gosh, if I don't produce fruit, I'm going to get like thrown into a fire. <laughs> you know, that I, 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 I'm supposed to do work. I'm supposed to like, that's what it says, is like he's going to like prune me and throw me into uh, a fire. Well, if you read it in the New American Standard, it actually says to, to take away, to take away. And if you go back to the Greek, it actually means to like raise up from the ground, to raise upward, to elevate. Like every branch that does not produce, produce fruit, he lifts up and he undergirds. Now, uh, I'm supposed to go to Israel on November the 28th but it's not happening. Uh, we're not going. Uh, and so we just found that out this week. So we're a little bummed about that. And it's probably going to be another year before we even like think about going. Uh, but I've been over there three times with many of you. And one of my favorite places to go is the Garden of Gethsemane. It's where Jesus hung out the night before he was crucified with his disciples. And he's like, hey, stay awake and pray for me and all that. And he's like wrestling with the, the battle going on up here. Remember that? Because he's like sweating blood and the evil one's saying, don't go to the cross, don't go to the cross. But he's like, no, I'm already committed to going to the cross. And he's like, Lord, take this cup from me. But in that garden, I always, uh, Corey and I would go there. Uh, the last three times, and we have this one specific tree that we like to sit under. It's, a little, it's curved, and we just sit there, and we spend time together. That's not it, but you can leave that there. Uh, go back to the first one. But this is a, an olive tree that's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not the tree that we sit under. But I want you to notice something. L look at that. 
it, this is a tree that's been there over 2,000 years. Like you're looking at a 2,000 year old tree. And this one branch right here, I'm sure at one time it, it was small, it just didn't appear like that, but somebody took rocks and they did what? They propped that branch up. They raised it up. Like the farmer, the farmer of the olive tree like raised the branch up. Go to, the, go to that second picture, that bigger one. Look at this big old tree. That's like 2,000 years old. Look, look at this pile of rocks that he put up here to just, no telling how, I mean, those are almost like cemented together. Like, it's old. But when I saw that, when I saw that, all of a sudden it made this passage of Scripture make sense to me. Like he says, to raise up the branch. Why does he raise up the branch? So it will produce fruit. The branch wasn't producing fruit, so the farmer comes along and he says, All right, I'm going to prop you up. I'm going to prop you up so you produce fruit. Produce olives. 2,000 years later, it's still producing olives. I hope that you're encouraged by seeing that. He's literally trying to tell the disciples, You're good. Just let me do this. Like, they're freaking out. You know, Jesus has, like, been doing this all along. Now he's going to, like, disappear. And what are we going to do without Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, our Healer, our Redeemer? What are we going to do without him? And verse 3 says this. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. You go back to John 13, 10, and it talks about them being ceremonial clean. But he's literally saying, spiritually, you're clean. And then verse 4, he says, Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. To live your life, to live your life here today by his life, by someone else's life, that's, that's the real adventure. That's the real adventure. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, it remains on the vine, so neither can you. You can't produce fruit unless you remain in him. It's this whole thing. Chloe can like get out of this envelope and she can try to do things in her own strength, and she's probably pretty good at doing it in her own strength for a while and then it fails like some of you that are highly disciplined you you can do things in your own strength for a while and be successful no question about it but at some point it all come crashes down it comes crashing down he says in verse 5 I'm the vine you are the branches the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit Because you can do nothing without me. No self-effort will produce the fruit that the Holy Spirit can produce in you. He says, if anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Jesus is in context is speaking of how the fruit is born. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 says this, For no one can lay down any foundation other than what has been laid down. 
that foundation is Jesus Christ. We've already declared that here this morning. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's works will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's works. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Okay, so we're talking about a judgment that's going to happen here. It's the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. But wait, what? watch this. That whole judgment thing, it's all good. It's all good because what's going to happen? Everything that I've done in my own strength, everything, if, if I'm standing here today in my own strength and teaching rustyisms and everything else it goes into the fire and it burns up not worth anything but everything that I do in the spirit everything I do in the spirit him doing it in me which is uh, hopefully most of my life at this point it all comes through the fire and it's all good look what Jesus did in Rusty. Look what God did in Jesus in Rusty. So that whole judgment thing, it's all good. And why do I know that? Because Jude 24, it says, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. I'm going to stand in his, in his presence without any blemish and I'm going to stand there with great joy and it's going to be a cool thing. I don't fear judgment from God. Why? Because Matt said there's this one verse, Romans 8, 1, that we quote all the time in here. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I, he's not going to condemn me. He's already like taking, if he's already taken care of all my sin, the basics of it all, it's good. And you go, okay, well, how do you, how do you define what doing things out of your own strength, how do you define things out of your flesh? Romans chapter 14, verse 23, it says, whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. And therefore, there's this. Everything I do, I either do in the flesh or I do in the spirit. Everything I do in my own strength is sin. I still sin. I still do things in my own strength. Everything I do in the spirit is good. Because why? Because he's doing it. He's doing it, not me. I hope he's teaching here today. I hope he's doing a great work as you listen today. And he closes, he closes, uh, well, he doesn't close, but he says this to them, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. If Chloe remains in Jesus and remains in God, again, her desires are their desires. Whatever God wants for their life, and, and let me tell you what God wants for your life. I'm going to tell you right now what God wants for your specific life. The will of God in your life is for you to walk by his spirit. That's it. It's the same for everybody in here. 
not by your spirit, but by his spirit. He's made your spirit new. He's made your spirit new. And he's like, just trust me. Just trust me. I'll do it for you. He says, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. I'll do it for you. Just stop. I said this morning, just breathe. Well, I, he'll even breathe. He'll breathe for you. You know, when it's that time when you're just like, <gasps> he'll do it. Just chill out. I, I look at my schedule and the things that I do, and I go, I don't know how I get this done. <laughs> Honestly, I don't, I don't know how I get everything done that needs to be done or what I think needs to be done. And I look back and I go, he's, he's had to have done it. He's had to have done it. There's no way I could have done all that. And so we close out this small passage of scripture he says again i'll read it to you first john chapter two i'm writing to you little children since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name i'm writing to you fathers because you have come to know the one who's from the beginning and i'm writing to you young men because we have conquered the evil one we have literally in the last three weeks traveled the simplest things of our faith which is forgiveness you have to you have to understand forgiveness. You have to know forgiveness. To one of the least understood messages in the church, which is how to overcome the evil one, how to overcome the evil one with the mind of Christ, to know Jesus, to love Jesus. It's the only way because this, this thing, it's a battle. It's a battle. And here, here, here's what I promise you is, you can be victorious over the evil one. It says, because young men, I write to you because you've conquered the evil one. You have the capability of doing it. And then to desire that personal relationship that we continually pursue. And what's that? Knowing the Father. I think back. I think back about two men. Adam walking with God in the garden. It was all perfect. It was all perfect. Before Genesis chapter 3. Just hanging out with the creator. Just looking at what he's made. And I think about Enoch. He says, Enoch walked with God. When I think about knowing the one who's from the beginning, knowing the one who's the creator, I think about just walking with God. What does it look like here in 2023 in my daily life? The only thing I can do is know him more. That's my desire, know him more. I just want to know God more. We can sit here and talk about church and all this other stuff and ministry and everything else, but... Man, we're talking about baseball. But honestly, I I just want to know my Savior more. This, this, is, this is a sideshow. Seriously. I, I just want to know Jesus. 
And I want him to breathe for me. And sometimes I need him to breathe for me. So Lord, uh, today, I thank you for Sabbath rest, that you give us the ability to have Sabbath rest. I just trust you. That's the hardest part, is just trusting you with your word and trusting you what you say, rather than our own selves. Uh, I pray that you would allow us just to rest in you. Allow us just to let you do your thing in us. And then everybody knows, everybody knows whose side we're on, your side. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.